Hats off to the Bible Project. What a clear and creative way to express kingdom justice from a biblical perspective. I wonder what kind of takeaways you got from that. I know one of the things that really impacted me was how when people have been oppressed and they've been set free, they often come to a place of power and begin to oppress other people. And that just isn't right, is it? But it's often what happens. It happened with Israel when they were set free out of slavery from Egypt, but they ended up enslaving and taking advantage of other people, even their own people, sometimes enslaving them, sometimes uh, oppressing the poor and the needy. Their hunger for security uh, was found in the way that they sought after prosperity and power. And what happened is, when they sought after those things of prosperity and power, they neglected the poor. And this is a problem that we have in our life, right? Isn't it? It's because we all struggle with that. We all struggle with a bit of self-centeredness. We all struggle with uh, self-preservation and self-glory. And we often are prevented or uh, distracted from caring for others because we're so concerned about ourselves. I remember when COVID-19 hit us and I went out searching for essential products and I started to panic a little bit because you know, you went to get toilet paper and you couldn't find toilet paper. You went to get hand sanitizer and there was no hand sanitizer. And what was happening when you found it, you bought it and you bought as much as you could. Why? Because you wanted to protect yourself. You wanted to supply those things that you needed for yourself. And that's a natural instinct we all have. But when it goes to extremes, when that's all we think about, we often neglect other people. I remember growing up in uh, Buffalo, New York, where I'm from, and as a child in the winter, we would play this game called King of the Hill. And we lived across the street from a huge parking lot, and there was a school there, and they would pile the snow up in these huge, huge piles in 10 or 20 feet high if it was a good snow. And then as children, we would all go over there and we'd play King of the Hill. And the idea of King of the Hill was as you rushed up to the top of the hill and you proclaim yourself the king of the hill and then if somebody tried to come up the hill you push them back down the hill and I remember I was one of the smaller kids and uh, I would try to go up the hill I could probably touch the top but soon enough somebody pushed me down it was frustrating and so I was often at the bottom of the hill frustrated and my older brother and his friends were always on the top of the hill well I vowed someday I'm going to get to the top of the hill. And the next year, I grew more. My brother stopped playing the game. And so I was one of the larger kids there. And when I got to the top of the hill, I protected that hill. This was my hill. You would have thought, Al, couldn't you remember when you were on the bottom of the hill so frustrated? Don't you have a little compassion and empathy for those other kids? And no way, there was no compassion or empathy in my life. I wanted to be on the top of the hill. I quickly forgot what it was like to be at the bottom of the hill being pushed down. Throughout the Bible, God has always instructed his people to imitate his love. You know, that's what we talked about last week. We said that we're to follow God's example or mimic God. And that word actually means mimic in Ephesians 5, chapter 1. It says, follow God's example, walk in the way of love. And God has always desired for us to do that. 
but we just don't have often the capacity to do it. You see, kingdom, justice, and mercy is all about love. And kingdom, justice, and mercy is primarily restorative. It's restorative action. It does involve some retribution at times, but it's primarily restorative. It's demonstrated most effectively when God's people are living it out in their daily lives, caring for the oppressed, the poor, the hurting, and the sick. You know, kingdom, justice, and mercy is described throughout the Bible, but I remember in Micah 6.8, we get a clear picture of this. And I remember a couple of weeks ago sharing it with you. It's like a three-legged stool. It's like three important parts of uh, kingdom, justice, and mercy lived out. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These just aren't ideas. Do you notice the action verb before each one? Act justly. Love is an action. Love, mercy. A walking is an action. Walk humbly with your God. As you're walking in your daily life, be dependent on Him. In, a, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, it was a time in Israel's history when they were praying that God would bring healing and restoration to their nation. And so what they did is they emphasized one leg of the stool, of the three-legged stool I'm talking about. And you would think it would be the perfect one. It was humility. And so what they did is they declared a fast, and they all began to fast and pray. And they humbled themselves before God, and they began to cry out to God. But one of the things that God confronted them on, and it's in Isaiah 58, verses 6, verses 6 and 7, it says that they had forgotten or neglected the other two parts of loving justice and mercy. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen, it says, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to let the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You see, God was calling their attention not to just their humble prayer life, but about their actions, about how they were treating the poor and the oppressed around them. They had neglected those things, and God was calling them back to that. I think that's happening today in the church today. Not only our local church, but the church in America as well. Just like Israel... We are asking God to heal our land, but he's also calling us to examine our lives and to see how we are acting justly, how we are loving mercy, and how we're walking humbly with him. Social justice is not about revenge or retribution. It's about re restoring other people. It's helping people. The kind of social justice that is revengeful is really not of the Lord. It's actually demonic, I believe. What God wants to do is bring his people and his church involved in social justice to do in a way that honors him and glorifies him. You see, Jesus taught and modeled radical social justice. 
And he simply called it this, loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't complicated, but it was true. And you could say, Al, you know, I'm not sure that would work to, in today's culture. Well, you know, Jesus' culture was contrary to really what he was speaking about. People weren't acting lovingly towards God or towards one another. And so one day, an expert in the law came up to Jesus. He was a religious theologian. He had studied the Torah all his life. And so he was asking Jesus some questions. And he wanted to know, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be on the top of the mountain? What do I have to do to do that? And Jesus said, well, what does the Scripture say? And this expert of the law answered correctly. He said, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you know, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. But it says in, Acts, in Luke 10, 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then you know the story that Jesus told. And I want to read it to you here. It's about the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is one of the most treacherous, notorious roads that has ever been in all of Israel. It was full of turns and places where robbers could hide and they would attack, attack unsuspecting people as they walked through there. Well, they had found a victim and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on to the other side. Two of the most religious people, representing the most religious people in all of Israel, a Levite and a priest, passed by the other side to where this man was half dead. But a Samaritan, and a Samaritan was somebody who was despised by the Jews. They didn't believe that they had worshipped correctly, and they believed that they were half-hearted believers in God at, at the best. But actually, they disdained and hated them. They wouldn't even eat with them, and they avoided their, their city whenever they could, the city of Samaria. But this Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And that word means compassion. He felt something in his heart. He felt like this man needs help. He went to him and bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Now, two denarii, what is that? Well, one denarii is like a day's wages. So this man gives half of his week's salary, just about half of his week's salary and his time to take care of this man that is wounded. And then he tells the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, the story that Jesus tells, many theologians believe it was a true, actual story that actually happened in Jerusalem, and it was kind of known around town or in Samaria. 
This man probably knew about it too. And so Jesus asked the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, Jesus was asking this man not just to memorize the Scripture, but to do the Scripture. He was asking him to act out the love that God had placed in his heart, if he had actually had that love placed in his heart. And see, the Samaritan, he is a model example to us all. He interrupts his daily routine, even his business trip, that is very important. He stops and helps, demonstrating true mercy and love in action. What had happened to this man who had been robbed was unjust. But what the Samaritan does is restorative. He takes him, he heals him, he carries him to a place of where he could be taken care of. What a display of humility. What a display of this man doing it just because this man is in need. There's no pictures going on. There's no social media. He doesn't post anything. Nobody takes a picture of him doing this. Nobody knows except the man that he's been caring for. And he does it in such a way that it has impacted millions of people still to this day. Hospitals are named after the Good Samaritan. Ministries have been started all over the world based on the action of this man taking this other man who was hurt and wounded and caring for him. Hospitals have been built in the name of this man, the Good Samaritan. In fact, the church was always motivated to be involved when people were hurting and struggling, disadvantaged, disenfranchised. The church was best when it was working that way. And I believe God is calling us to that same thing today. This is your calling. This is my calling. And it's impossible for us to just do it in our own strength or power. We need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. I don't have the capacity to do something that this good Samaritan did. And I think that was another point Jesus was making. He was saying, look at this is what this man did, but can you do that consistently in your life? Do you have the capacity to do that? When we look at the life of Jesus and the extreme sacrifice that he went through so that he could impart to us his forgiveness, his mercy, his love, we can begin to understand how much God loves us and how we can give love to other people. God wants to do that in our lives. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 talks about God's plan to restore us to himself. And he did it like this, by sending his son, Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. So in that part, justice was retributive meaning that somebody had to die and take the punishment for our sin, and Jesus did this. But we can receive that gift by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left sins 
committed beforehand unpunished, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. That God, who is a just God and holy, could receive us because Jesus paid for our sin. And so he is to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You've heard it said, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, it's not about being king of the mountain. It's about being restorative. It's about uh, acting justly. It's about loving mercifully. It's about walking humbly and dependently in the mercy and the grace of God so that our capacity then to give that out to other is, others is increased. What are some things that we could actually do? What are some action steps that we could take to do this? Well, number one is discern what true kingdom, justice, and mercy is all about through what Jesus taught and what the Scripture says. We're getting a lot of messages today about social justice. But what is biblical social justice? What is biblical kingdom justice and mercy according to the Scripture? And then ask God to transform you and increase your capacity to act that out in your daily life. You know, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, when the Scripture says that, your neighbor is probably the person sitting right next to you today. That's one of your neighbors. But it extends beyond that to our family and then to our extended family and then to our community of faith. But it goes beyond that. Jesus said he wants you to even love your enemies. And that's impossible to do without the grace of God working in us. But we have the Holy Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and can give us the power then to love and act in such a way that demonstrates and is an image bearer of God's mercy and justice. You see, God wants us to then, three, look for opportunities to act justly, to love mercy, and to continue to walk humbly with Him. There are going to be opportunities that God gives you in the weeks and the months ahead. Even today, you may have an opportunity to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To speak in such a way that really conveys the mercy of God. To act in such a way that really shows, like the Samaritan did, that you care and have compassion. God wants us to listen to what His Spirit is speaking to us in these days. And I know this is challenging. But this is what God has called the church to do. He's called the church to do that throughout generations. And this is our time now to act that way towards one another and to whoever God brings in our path. I want to just pray and ask that God would increase our capacity right now to be those kinds of people. And then we're going to close with a worship song. Let's pray. Father, we ask today that you would move and work in our hearts and teach us, Lord, to discern what true kingdom justice and mercy is all about. And then, Lord, to understand and act in that way, Lord, to be sensitive to those that are poor, to those that have been oppressed, to those that feel unjustly treated, 
to those that are hurting, to those that are sick, to those that are struggling. Lord, would you make us the kind of people that can bear your image and walk in the way of love that you've called us to do. We pray for opportunities, Lord, that you would bring them our way, that we'd recognize them, and that, Lord, that you will use us individually and collectively as a church to respond in justice and mercy to other people. Teach us what that means, Lord. We want to we be taught by you, Lord. We want you to work in our lives. We want you to work in our families. We want you to work in our marriages. We want you to work in uh, each individual as they seek you, Lord. We ask that you would do this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.